Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. I'm your host, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm really tired, and Matt's really sick, so this is going to be a weird episode. <laughs> It's a good thing. It's a good thing that we're being so silly when we have to talk about stuff that's so real. <laughs> I know, right? This is a great episode to like be loopy for. <laughs> um, so each month on Spectology, we pick a book, read it, and talk about it over the course of two episodes. This is our spoiler-free pre-read episode on River Solomon's and Unkindness of Ghosts, uh, a book that was published in 2017 about a generation ship. And the government and people on it uh, is very good so far. Uh, we will be talking about it again without spoilers, um, discussing the context of the book, the author, sort of the like subgenre that it exists within, um, various sub different subgenres, uh, and whatever else we decide to talk about. Yeah, I mean, there's this is a really exciting book, uh, I think, for us because it it's it touches on a lot of really interesting and deep and very serious issues that. Um, I think we find interesting. It's also really important to say up front that it's going to be uh, pretty obvious. We're two cis white guys talking about a lot of issues, including stuff relating to uh, neurodivergence and um, different types of uh, trans experiences and um, queer experiences and uh, homophobia and transphobia and mental illness and ableism mm -hmm. and all kinds of issues that come up in this book. And, right. um, we, I mean, it might be worth just doing the kind of content warning stuff for the book up front here. We usually talk a little bit about it before going into it, but this is a book that is very interested in various sorts of oppression, uh, and does that like it, it, the method by which that interest is displayed is by talking about those kinds of oppression in a really in depth. Um, so everything that Matt mentioned here is an aspect of the text itself. Um, there is also uh, fairly on screen sexual violence. There's slavery. There are different kinds of um, physical and mental abuse. Uh, there's also a bunch of like medical stuff. The lead characters are both uh, surgeons. And so there's a lot of just medical stuff that goes on that you might that I know a lot of people find really um, hard to read. Uh, there's also like, you know, on screen homophobia, transphobia, uh, a lot of ableism and just a lot of violence. Generally, it is a very like violent civilization that the characters live in a very violent world and one where that v violence physical violence mental violence kind of social violence uh larger structural violence like that it isn't necessarily like even a person-to-person -person type thing are all depicted very much on screen um so to speak so it is a book that is going to be i don't know in some ways it it's uh it's a hard to read book uh, and it's not necessarily a happy book so far yeah, and I think, you know, we're going to be talking, as we already have started to do, about a lot of these issues. We're going to, as always, try to keep our discussion, you know, not too graphic in any particular way, but we are going to talk about it. So mm -hmm. uh, be warned if that matters to you. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll add on a personal note, I'm sure Adrian feels the same way that, you know, I, I I'm, 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 I try to be as as aware as I can um, about, you know, how it feels when someone in my privileged position uh, talks about this stuff 
in a privileged forum. I mean, obviously the fact that we are hosting this show, um, you know, counts for something. Um, and I'm going to do my best to, um, be as sensitive and caring as I can in talking about all this. Um, I hope that, uh, you know, if I do make a mistake, I hope as always that somebody will point it out to me. I, I, you know, recognize also that that's not like a right <laughs> that, that itself is yeah. a privileged position exactly. to be in. Right. And I think, you know, I think that's actually a really interesting point, Matt, that like we exist within a privileged position because this is our podcast, because we are the ones, you know, broadcasting here essentially. And I think that's a, that's a good one to bring up and something that I know as like, we haven't talked about this beforehand, but I know that as I think about this sometimes, some of these books that we read, I almost worry like, Oh, like, should I really be talking about this book or should I really be like, you're not, not reading it obviously, but kind of like, you know, we don't have a guest on for this episode. It's just the two of us. Like that was a choice we made largely through not making it because you and I are both really busy right now. And having a guest is like a lot more difficult than not having a guest. Um, but it also means that it puts us in the position of both wanting to do right by this book. Like I want other people to read the book cause it's really good. Um, but also in that we yeah. are talking about the book together, it like creates a kind of like, weird situation of it's like us doing it and maybe not us and someone else. Um, it's us privileging our own points of views and our own kind of reactions to the book. So, you know, I guess just like we're aware of that <laughs> and we're, you know, going into it with that awareness, but also, you know, I would never want to not read a book because our, the conversation might be uncomfortable when the book is like a good book to read. And like the book itself should be, you know, promoted. And ultimately that's sort of like at least part of what you and I are trying to do is like promote books that should be read and get other people to read them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to me, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I mean, I think there, you know, it's worth pointing out if somebody is sort of wondering why we would why we would feel concerned about this. Um uh, you know, we could easily have made the choice to like not do anything, to not do this episode, <laughs> to like just pick a different book or, you know, whatever. Right. But I think um, I'm also very excited about this book, although unlike Adrian, I haven't started it yet. So um, I can't. I'm almost halfway through at this point. I cannot yet confirm that I will like it, although I'm pretty <laughs> confident I will. I can confirm you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but I, I'm I'm very excited about it and I want people to talk about it and I want people to to read it because... I think it's good, you know, for individuals and it's like good for the culture broadly to engage with stuff like this, engage mm -hmm. with sort of meaningful art that comes from, um, you know, underrepresented people. It's just purely a good uh, in and of itself. Um, and then it also happens that like it's fun in this case because it's a sci-fi book. Um, right. So I, 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 I also, you know, I also think that, um, you know, in a, in a very selfish way, there's a way that like getting to, to talk about this stuff is, is like yet another sort of privilege that I have. Like I can, like, I, I'm not at risk, so to speak, as a result of bringing up any of these topics. Mm -hmm. And so, um, maybe it's useful for, you know, maybe it's useful to, to like have more of that conversation from a person that doesn't have to worry that they're going to like be hurt literally as a result of talking about some of these things, which of course is a fear that many people have. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's very difficult to know what to say. I think we can just mm-hmm. try to be as as kind of as sensitive and caring as we can. Right. Um, and, and also, uh, I mean, hopefully have fun with it because it's a it's an interesting book. Again, it is like yeah, for not sure. a happy book, but it is oh, like interesting and at least so far like fun book and one that is, you know, has a lot of stuff. I, you know, I'm almost I I usually don't read this much of the book before going into the pre-read partially because then I go into the pre-read just wanting to be at the post-read already. Like I, I just want to be like <laughs> talking about the like specifics of the book with you, Matt. So, right. you know, know right. we'll hold off. You'll, we'll get to that in like, I think two weeks time uh, at the end of November. So um, why don't we say a little bit more about the book just really quick and about the author? Um, mm-hmm. Just, I wanted to mention since you um, made a note of it, some of the, you know, genre stuff or themes that this book touches on other than what we've already mentioned. You mentioned it's a generation ship. You've mentioned it's kind of dealing with uh, the government and like, you know, what you've written down here is far future fascism. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, So let me, I can do the sort of like one sentence, like synopsis or like maybe pitch rather than synopsis of the book, which is, um, it is set in some sort of kind of like post-apocalyptic far future where like, all of humanity exists on this one generation ship. Uh, and it is a very stratified society, um, one that's stratified based on race, but also kind of other biological markers, both the way that the like sex, like biological sex work, and also the way that like their gender is performed and um, like viewed by other parts of the ship. And so you have this really stratified society um, and you get to see it largely through the eyes of this woman, Aster, who is, um, I would say, essentially like uh, has Asperger's or autism is like on that kind of spectrum somewhere and is also like while essentially in the lowest tier of society is also one of the best like medical doctors on the entire ship and has certain like access privileges to the kind of like white high society because of that. And so it's this really interesting look into these like differing societies of the ship from the sort of like literally nobility. There is a sort of like um, not full on patrilineal, a succession of kings but something kind of like that with like a full-on divine right there's like a religious order to the whole thing um and then like tied with this you have the just workings of the ship that everyone lives on and the fact that like they're all that humanity has left is the people on this ship that sounds so freaking cool (laughs) i cannot wait to read this i already thought it was cool but that sounds even cooler than i thought um Yeah, I didn't realize the full extent of this going into it. My original, like, what I had known about it is, like, a generation ship with, like, you know, racism. And I was like, okay, interesting. But it is a lot more than that. Yeah. I mean, there's so much going on there. Just, like, the whole idea of racism on a ship is just, like, using the word ship, like, immediately recalls, like actual slave ships in the transatlantic slave trade and mm-hmm. the like insane sci-fi horror of of that reality um well it's interesting that you bring that up because river solomon their most recent book is actually one based on a david dig song um about the transatlantic slave trade uh people who jumped overboard the sort of this like afrofuturism song about the like folks who live in the deep like who've become like kind of like mer people after jumping overboard on the ships yeah there's like a i think there's a, a drexkia album 
right that's about exactly that. <laughs> right and so then david diggs is um band clipping like wrote uh, further like songs based in that world and now river solomon has like collaborated with clipping to like produce this novella that i think the like um with david diggs being one of the like main cast members of hamilton he has this like uh, band rap group called clipping that he's in and so river solomon just published the book i think like two days ago as of the point that we are recording this episode so like that's all it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's all kind of like it is actually connected there even like explicitly in that way that's so cool i mean this goes all the way back to our afrofuturism episode yes um or series of episodes when we were talking about binti and afrofuturism like mm-hmm. stuff especially just, that pre-read where we got deep into yeah afrofuturism. like uh, the the music that's related to that that scene, you know, going mm-hmm. kind of as far back as you want to go is incredibly cool and interesting to me. And I love how everything is all kind of connected to everything else. Um, mm-hmm. That's really cool. So I'm sure we'll have we'll, I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about Afrofuturism also. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that episode is a fairly good resource for folks who don't know what Afrofuturism is and wants, you know, kind of like, again, the sort of like white dude introduction to (laughs) what afrofuturism is um but we you know we did record that whole episode and this book definitely i mean i've heard afrofuturism or i've seen afrofuturism get brought up a lot in the like kind of critical discussion of unkindness of ghosts some of the other book facts here is that like unkindness of ghosts was published in 2017 it's about 340 pages long so it's a pretty like mid-sized book it is standalone, so there's not any sequels, and I don't know of any plans of sequels or anything like that. It does work as its own thing. Um, it was nominated for a bunch of awards, including the like Lambda Queer SF Award, the Locus Award, the Tiptree Award. Uh, River Solomon was nominated for the Campbell Award twice, although they didn't win either time. But this book did win the Fireside Award, which is for indie fiction in particular. And it's I believe it's a like cross genre award. So it's any like small publishing press um, fiction. Is that the is it the Firecracker Award? Yes. Did I say something else? Yeah. OK. Yeah. Firecracker Award. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then with that, uh, River Solomon is a writer who lives in the UK, although they are from the US originally. I think they grew up in like New York and Texas or something like that. New York and another Southern state, I believe. Um, They are, they use they, them pronouns. I don't know exactly how they identify within the like gender spectrum exactly, uh, non-binary or trans or or what exactly within there. Uh, But they do use they, them pronouns and we will attempt to do that when referring to them as well. One thing that's on their website that I liked a lot was their own like self like autobiography kind of like quote on on their website, which is that River Solomon is a dyke, an anarchist, a she beast, an exile, a wound, a shiv, a wreck and a refugee of the transatlantic slave trade. They write about life in the margins where they are much at home, um, which I think does a really good job of like getting across the um, tone of this book. Yeah, it's like sort of beautiful evocative angry and uh mm-hmm. and not not going to make cool, you feel honestly. comfortable with it either yeah like they don't write to make you feel comfortable with any of the stuff that they write about yeah but there's a kind of i mean that kind of confidence is very sort of cool and powerful also mm-hmm. which is really appealing 
It is. Uh, and, you know, it's part of what's appealing about the book. Um, I used to, like I, I mentioned The Deep, which is this novella that they just published. Um, there's also there one of the like authors of The Vela, which is like a serial box series i don't i don't know what they call them i, I haven't i haven't um read it or listened so. to any of them um but they co-write that with yoon ha lee becky chambers and sl wong um which i haven't actually read wong's work but i have read both you know we we read yoon ha lee for the podcast and uh, i've read one of becky chambers novels so that's like a great list of it sure like, is like you know modern kind of military space opera e type stuff authors so i think i like i i'm really that's the first cereal box thing where i've actually been really interested in picking it up somehow um so i might do that at some point here especially after reading this now cool well cereal box is is uh they're 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 friends and we like them well they're your friends i don't actually i guess <laughs> okay. I, I know some of the folks who work there but but you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't have any experience reading any of them, so I don't want to yeah. be like, oh, yes, I like a thing I know nothing about. Uh, that, is, that is Fair literally enough. all of it. <laughs> also, enough. you know, they 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 sponsor podcasts. Got to get that like sick, sick <laughs> podcast money. Got to sell out before I like recommend them. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's right. Adrian's recommendation is contingent on a fat sack of cash appearing in his hands. <laughs> All right. I, I feel like I've done a lot of talking. Matt, why did it's we choose this book? Well, to be honest, uh, Generation Ship, uh, what, I, what I knew about it was that it was like a Generation Ship story involving a lot of politics and like fighting fascism in like the far future. That's kind of what I knew about it. And I also I, I had heard that there were some, you know, characters that were neurotypical or uh, non-binary, but I didn't really know much about that. Basically, I knew very little about it, but just that one pitch alone made it sound like a really fun, exciting, uh, like political thriller almost. Mm -hmm. And like and then, of course, I've learned now a lot more about uh, what you think about it just now based on your reading of it. And I don't know. I mean, it's like I love I think we haven't done a generation ship sci fi yeah. story. And I think um River Solomon is somebody who I've heard is awesome and it just seemed like a natural choice. Um, the idea of a, a, a sort of plot that is a cool plot, but and occurs in sci-fi a lot and we haven't done it yet is a, is, is appealing. And like, it's always appealing to read books with like, you know, written by awesome authors I have not read before. So like, I don't know, it was, it seemed like an obvious choice to me. It also, um, I think the, I think the one other thing I had heard about it was that it was not necessarily like happy <laughs> mm -hmm. and that feels like a good, I mean, fall to me is a time when I'm interested in, in that sort of less than <laughs> happy story, even more than usual. So mm -hmm. that also made sense. What about you, dude? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I generation ship stories are, I feel like this like subgenre of science fiction that I am. Um, in theory really interested in but actually haven't read like all that much of um and so actually, sorry to interrupt but i just remembered we uh, we actually of course children of time does have a significant part of it that is kind of a generation ship story so right right yeah i was i was i was just gonna bring up actually that we have read like a few kind of like verging on that stories um children of time i think also of dark eden a little bit where like 
you know, there it's not a ship, but it is this like tight, closed community that, you know, also I, I would say in, in some ways, like Dark Eden is the closest comp of any of the books that we've read on this podcast for this one, Interesting. Interesting. Um, because it is about this kind of like small community where there just like is no one else. And there is this like very kind of like, you know, like religious control and societal control like element to it, as well yeah. as just like characters of all different like sorts and types where like, you know, Dark Eden, I think, is maybe the one other book where there are also like neurotypical characters that are like prominent, like viewpoint characters that we've read um, and that it is about kind of like life in the margins in the same mm -hmm. way. And, you know, obviously Chris Beckett is a very different author from River Solomon, but they both kind of like explore some of the same, at least like types of stuff, if not in the same way. Um, so, you know, I, so I, I like that, like, this is the kind of story I, or like one of the types of stories I enjoy reading. And I too had heard of, you know, River Solomon for the last couple of years since this book got published and have been, you know, I feel like I don't read that much outside of for the podcast and I've been wanting to read this book for a while. So like got to pick it for the podcast if I'm ever going <laughs> to read it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really excited for like sort of meaty, meaty like investigation of political themes. Um mm -hmm. I mean, like one of the things that sci-fi does that I that I love so much, and this is definitely a, another way that Dark Eden is like a really good comparison, is to take like political trends and like extrapolate them out to the nth degree, and sort of see where you get. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 you know, there's there are so many like distressing political trends in in life. It's like a very bracing exercise to do that, um, and it takes somebody with it takes like. Like a lot of writers, I think, in my experience, will sort of like go halfway on that kind of plot. You know, they'll 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 create a dystopian future that's I don't know, it's kind of almost more based on other dystopian futures in other books than it is based on like real politics and real uh, life and the real horrors of and the real horrors of of political reality. Mm -hmm. That's common. But it 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 takes a lot of I, I almost like like will to like will yourself to see the like really hard to see gr like incredibly depressing dispiriting stuff in, in in the real world and then like and then like crank that up and like shoot that out into space you know <laughs> <laughs> right but if you but if you can do that then you get this almost like ability to sort of unpack actually the the thing that you've shot into space to like turn it around and spin it up and down and like rotate it on every axis and like look at every nook and cranny on the thing and then like pull it apart and like look at what's inside and like see how it spins you know mm -hmm. that's yeah. that's super exciting and i'm really looking forward to that yeah i you know that that point about sort of like genre that is based on the real world versus like genre that is based on genre conventions i think is a really good one and you know it's right. It's obviously something we've talked about in the podcast before on in terms of like the apocalyptic stuff we've read where it's like there are apocalypses that happen. Like we can actually look mm -hmm. to stuff that has happened if you want to look at what an apocalypse is actually like. So I think the other word that we haven't like used here yet is just dystopia. Like this is a dystopian novel 
essentially. And it's maybe not in the same kind of, there's like different kinds of dystopian novels. There's maybe something like eight, 1984 or, or animal house. Animal, Animal Farm. Farm. <laughs> Animal House is a different, <laughs> in a different movie. Also uh, dystopian in its own way, but you know. I mean, yes, it is. But. <laughs> um, yeah, Animal Farm, where there's something like allegorical about it. It's not necessarily like science fictional in the sense of like, you know, it's set in our future. Um, whereas then there's also the kind of stuff where it's just more like um, almost like casually dystopian. And, I, and I, I would consider this, you know, again, like Dark Eden or like the generation ship elements of Children of Time, where it is just sort of like a bad place that the characters live within. It's like a bad society. It's a society that is dystopian. But again, to your point, it is dystopian in a way that is like pulling elements of the real world into it. Like there are dystopias in the real world. Like this is one of the problems with allegorical dystopian fiction, I feel, is that it makes dystopia feel like this thing that is like over there, this like thing we could get to. Right. Like if the wrong things happen, we might become a dystopia as opposed to like dystopia is here it's just unevenly distributed to paraphrase from william gibson like there 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 are you know if you are a black person in america like you live in a more dystopian world than if you are a white person in america if you're a poor person in america you live in a more dystopian world than if you're a rich person in america Mm -hmm. um and that's that's to say nothing of living in saudi arabia (laughs) you know that's to say nothing of being like a Uyghur in China, right? Like that's to say nothing of these like much worse situations that other people can live in. So, you know, I, I think the book does a really great job of, you know, pulling from these specific worlds, right? Like pulling from the specific worlds that river Solomon lives in and knows about. Um, and using those as science fiction, not in a way that is like science fiction as entertainment, not as a way that is like, oh, wow, let's like take a like fun little tour through this world. Um, but instead is kind of this like foundational element of, you know, this world is dystopian to the people who live within it, but it's dystopian in a familiar way to people who live like in the real world. Yeah, I think that's so right. I mean, it's, a, a thing I think about when I think about this is the the idea of defamiliarizing something. You know, if if you especially tropes that are really familiar to us, like like dystopias, like so many people have read, you know, Brave New World or whatever. Brave New World or like or 1984 or like, I mean, countless other like the, the Matrix is a dystopia. Like there's so mm-hmm. many dystopian stories all all around us all the time that it can it can be easy especially for young people who grow up in a privileged background who sort of aren't themselves experiencing a lot of suffering and and yet who are seeing a lot of these tropes all around them i think it can be very difficult for people in that situation and i speak as such a person as having been such a person um Mm -hmm. it can be very difficult for people in that situation to understand the difference between what they're seeing, like understand the distance between what they're seeing and like real suffering, uh, uh, sometimes small distance, sometimes large distance, but like understand like when it's small and when it's large, understand when like the thing that they're seeing depicted in front of them has elements of like reality, like all throughout it. And when it doesn't, you know, like Mm -hmm. if I, if I think about um, a movie that I enjoy, 
equilibrium, <laughs> like superficially a dystopia movie. I would not say it's a very good movie in the sense that I don't think that, you know, and, you know, like apologies to people that love equilibrium. I, I like equilibrium a lot, but like, it's not a movie I think that, that creates dystopia out of like real raw material. It's a movie that kind of creates dystopia out of like other dystopias. Um, and I think, you know, telling the difference between equilibrium on the one hand and like, I don't know, Schindler's list on the other. I mean, mm -hmm. that it, it's sort of superficially an obvious difference. Maybe I can pick a better example than Schindler's list. That's closer to home. Like than this book, for example, like being able to tell the difference and understand like when, what you're seeing has the, has the, has the real rawness in it. Um, is like an important thing I think for, for readers to like try to get better at. And you, you, you can, I think eventually you can develop this, this discerning skill. I think the, the most important difference between like a really good true to life image of a suffering society, a dystopia, and like a less good one is that in the case of the good one, you can learn, you can kind of practice real empathy. I think you can investigate something in the course of reading it that has an actual analog in the real world. And that's like a really cool thing for a, a, a story to be able to provide to a person. It's kind, it's very imperfect. You know, like I don't, I don't think people often say like, Oh, you know, one of the reasons why we, we read one of the reasons why we like love stories is because they like teach us stuff. And, and, you know, like, yeah, I guess they do, but I think it's very imperfect. The, the process by which you like learn things from stories is very imperfect. And it's so easy to like sort of learn things that aren't true and to like, oh yeah, you know, I mean, it's just like the difference. I between actually have like a really big problem with like that kind of attitude, especially coming from authors. I think I, you know, I've talked about this a little bit in the terms of the like, oh, like storytelling is the most important thing. And that means I'm the most important person um, kind of attitude. But also like I, it does feel sometimes this this feeling of like, you know, Oh, like read literature to learn about the world. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll also fucking read history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like also like especially the kind of literature that is mostly just in dialogue with other literature and just based on other literature, right? Like genre that's based on genre conventions instead of based on history or, or whatever, anthropology, whatever you want it to be based on. Um, like, yeah, it can fall into a trap of actually just like essentially like promoting the status quo instead of actually interrogating anything um, because the status quo includes like the ways in which we usually interrogate things right i think this is something that like you know you get like the whatever the like comedians who are like man i'm just like you know like out here telling the truth or whatever. It's like, I'm just asking questions. No one else will. And it's like the answer to that is usually like, no, you're not. You're asking the questions. Literally everyone does, right? Like part of ideology is like which questions everyone asks. And if you have genre fiction that is just based on like the same old genre conventions, then you have it, you know, it's just all the genre like is going to interrogate the same questions in the same way. With, you know, and even if it's like, oh, well, I did came up with this answer and I came up with that answer. If you're asking the wrong questions, the like which answer you came up with, which side you're on doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's true, though. So I don't know the 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 way I think that this works, if it works, is 
that it has to involve a certain kind of rawness. Um, if, mm-hmm. if, a, if a story can really can show you if, if a story is really showing you real suffering, it's going to like hurt to read it. It's going to probably be unpleasant. Um, interesting. And even in that case, I mean, I like the, the sense in which you're sort of learning something is, is, is so, is still so imperfect that like you have to really try, I think like, and, and you might fail, you know what I mean? Like, like so many things that are worth doing and like so many things that are difficult, like there's this like real possibility of failure. And, and like, I'm speaking so abstractly, but like, put it this way. I think a lot of people probably have had the experience of talking about like a book or a movie or a TV show that they saw and that their friend also saw talking about it with their friend. And they realized their friend like got something totally different out of it. Like in a lot of cases, it doesn't matter Mm. if the two people got something totally different out of it. But like if, if the story is a political story that has like a specific agenda then like two people getting different things out of it could mean two people getting like different political programs out of it. And then, and then like, you know, performing different political actions as a result. So I, I think like a thing that kind of is missing from some discussions of the, the ways in which we can like learn from literature is the sense of the consequences of failure. Mm-hmm. Because I think they exist um, at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're real. I mean, if you, if you want to like take a super sort of literature like nerd approach to it you can think about don quixote you know because like i I mean like one of the one of the the or going back as as far as there is literature people have been writing about the dangers of literature and i think you don't have to you don't have to hate literature and hate poetry to be aware of the ways in which that they can cause people to do things that are bad (laughs) or that like or that like the author might regret Right. But well, you know, and like cause to do things. I'm not sure if I like a hundred percent am on board with like that sentiment, but I think I maybe a specific way to couch this is something that comes up a lot in like our kind of nerd communities, which is like violence in video games, right? Like, do video games cause violence? Like, no. Yeah, that's right? not like, the sense. Like, that's people not what I mean. cause right. violence. Right. At the same time, like, there is a discussion to be had about like the ways in which, like, you know, performing violence within video games does that desensitize you to certain things? Does like the ideology inherent of like you have to kill monsters to win? is that ideology like inserting itself in your head in ways that you don't even realize. Right. right? Like, what, I, th- I think yeah. those are worthwhile questions to ask. Yeah. That's really what I'm thinking of when I, when I think of causing you to do bad things, I'm thinking of literature supporting ideologies of power and by depicting like only a certain kind of person in only a certain kind of role, you know, mm-hmm. or, or by mm-hmm. like showing certain kind of interactions and like sort of, uplifting certain kinds of interactions that are actually like i would say morally negative between certain kinds of people so for example you know depicting husbands and wives interacting in a certain way and depicting like a thing called a husband and a thing called a wife like existing and and sort of having certain like ontologies like these are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. these are subtle and it's like hard to see exactly sometimes that it's happening or like how you're being affected by it if you're reading it Mm -hmm. but it's still it's still real and i think it still does have an effect especially in the aggregate, especially over the long term, you know? Right. And yeah. And that's, I think, I think that's a really good point of like blaming individual works of art is not always, but often (laughs) sort of like the wrong tactic. You know, that said, like, you know, as we're talking about, like if 
if art has the ability to help you like feel things more viscerally, right? Like to your point, if like, if it is true that if a, you know, work of dystopia is doing its job and actually like showing you real world, like social ills, then you should like feel bad reading it. Like if we can like agree to all of that, which I don't know if I fully agree with actually. Um, but then you also have to like admit, well, like, okay, so that's saying that like literature can make you feel certain ways and can like give you the idea of what it's like to be certain things. And like those things don't have to be true necessarily, right? Like you can then understand the worldview of a, you know, sort of like dystopian literature where the dystopia is like caused by you know like quote unquote hordes of immigrants or whatever it is and you can understand how like the ideology presented by that kind of right-wing literature might like one specific book might actually be like a you know kind of like fundamental cause not the cause but like one of the fundamental elements towards violence caused against like you know communities in america yeah i i know i i don't want to say that i think like an individual work can't have an effect i think it right. can right um and i think especially it has an effect in terms of like making you feel empathy or like other kinds of emotions mm -hmm. i guess my thing is that like feeling bad because you read a book is not actually like doesn't tell you anything about the truth value of the contents of that book or the ideology of that book oh no yeah no i think i think we i think we agree yeah i i don't want to it's like it would be hard to sum up all like I, I don't have a, a, a concise statement necessarily of like my theory of right. like, I, I don't think you disagree with yeah. that. I just like I think that you said something that could maybe imply that. Yeah, like, I just no. want to be like really clear. No, I, 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 I don't think that I think. Well, one thing one one thing I would say is I think like a really powerful positive thing. I'll, I'll speak in terms of like a positive thing that I think um, a book can do like any story, like, you know, it, it's sort of analogous to any time that somebody is like telling you something in person, like over a, you know, one sitting, you know what I mean? Like in a lot of cases, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, the experience you have, like in most cases, the experience you have, if somebody's like sitting down with you, you're having coffee, they're telling you a story is that like whatever emotions the story makes you feel in a few hours, they'll be gone. They'll fade. Um, in some cases, if the story is like super intense or like for in one way or another, it's if it's super sad, if it like whatever, if it has a huge effect on your life, maybe directly, like maybe the story you're hearing is that, by the way, like we're taking your parents from you or something like that's obviously you're going to not going to stop feeling mm -hmm. your reaction to that, you know, anytime soon. But but it's like, I guess mm -hmm. the point is, I think that like, you know, usually like the emotional effect of a lot of conversations over a long period of time trumps the emotional effect of one conversation once um with some exceptions right. like for for first for you know things that are that are more intense um anyway i think like getting back to science fiction <laughs> more specifically <laughs> getting back to science fiction more specifically i think um when science fiction describes entire political structures and political societies it's so difficult to do that in a way that has any kind of sense of being real in other, in other words in a way that's like detailed mm -hmm. enough that it feels like it could actually work um and so people mm -hmm. you know typically you know cut corners by referring to expectations that readers have that they've that they've developed based on other works okay fine but if you are able to get away from that and, and like inject some element of like raw observation, especially if that observation comes from like 
a place of you know experiencing some of the political ideas that you're you're talking about directly um you can you can begin to get to the point where you're making something that goes from the typical conversation to the intense conversation mm-hmm. and then you can have like a very serious effect and it could be a very it could be a very uh, a beneficial effect to society you know if depending on what it is of course but you know i mean i'm hoping that in this case i think i have every reason to believe this is a good case yeah i'm i, I was actually just gonna say like i'm really curious how like like how you're going to respond to these ideas that you're laying out, like after reading this book and how you classify this book, like afterwards, because I don't, you know, I I don't want to like, again, get into spoilers or like even just into the territory of like priming you in some particular way, but I don't, you know, there's a lot of stuff I like about this book. I don't know if it is necessarily the like, like it's a book where politics are important, but it's not necessarily about politics qua the like political system or like the political process like in a lot of ways that happens kind of almost like off screen or whatever and so like you know i i think it's some of this stuff almost more about like societal structures yeah um yeah so i don't know I, I, i'm gonna be like i almost kind of want to say like I know. <laughs> let's let's finish this like in the I post know, right? read because like i don't know i i just want to like have a more in-depth conversation about it i feel like i can't say much I know, I know. To your I know. specific point. <laughs> That's fine. I, I can't either because I'm speaking generally and not having read right. any of the book. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I think speaking of the like, you know, <laughs> privilege of our podcast is that we get to like not read the books and still have episodes about them like by Lol. design. <laughs> Lol. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, so it's very true. Kind of on that, though, I, I did want to like segue into asking you like sort of what generation ship fiction have you read like more generally, like for the podcast outside of the podcast? Like, is that a subgenre that you are familiar with? Yeah, good question. I think I mean, yes, I've read other books that are set in generation ships and stuff like that. And I think in general, I, I don't think I've read that much of it. It's sort of hard to say because it's not a category that I'm like accustomed to thinking of as its own category, really. I think what happened is recently I realized when actually when we read Children of Time, I realized how much I love stories like that. I love stories that put a small number of materials in a small space and then like let it run for a long time it's kind of like this is a Mm -hmm. this this analogy might need some explanation but it's like cellular automata um if if people have heard of uh, conway's game of life for example um which is a computer program or a series of computer programs where you kind of write really simple rules for how pixels will like appear and disappear or like change color you know on your on your screen And then you just kind of let the very simple rules run and see what happens. And depending on how you structure the simple rules and depending on what your sort of initial screen. Yeah, the initial conditions are really important there. Depending on what you're what you're what you've chosen, you know, very different things will happen. But one thing that might happen is you might get, you know, some really, really interesting patterns. There's all kinds of patterns you can get. Like it turns out that from very simple rules and the right initial conditions. You can get um, randomness. You can also get order. You can also get uh, combinations of randomness and order that happen in like weird and sort of impossible mm-hmm. to predict ways. 
Right. There's a famous one. There's a famous cellular uh, 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 automata rule set. So like the general type of thing that this is, is it's a cellular automata. And uh, Conway's Game of Life is like one example of that. Right. And, uh, there's a very famous rule set for cellular automata that has the property that the pattern it produces is random with an unpredictable border between randomness and order. So it's partially random and partly ordered. And the border between those things shifts in an unpredictable way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it may turn out eventually somebody will prove that it's predictable but no one has yet been able to do that despite having tried for decades right <laughs> yeah this is where the like chaos theory stuff is really interesting because the whole point of these chaotic systems is that there are rules that are knowable and there's like initial conditions that are knowable but the only way to know what any given point is going to be is run through all of those rules step by step with those specific initial conditions. There's no way to like guess like, oh, it looks kind of like this initial condition. So it like the pattern will look kind of like this, like that doesn't work. Yeah, it's interesting because in some cases, depending on the rules, in some cases they are chaotic in the way you've described and in other cases they aren't. And, and it's, it's, it's just very, it's very fun to think about this stuff. I think it's like a, it's like a very interesting kind of thing to think about. And of mm. course, humans, I think, do, do seem chaotic, right? Like humans right. and our interactions do seem this way. Um, and I just, I love, I love stories that watch humans over long periods of time, especially over more than one generation. Right. And especially a sort of small-ish number of humans in like a restricted environment. I mm. think there's something about that setup that lends itself to really exploring, really like focusing on like certain aspects of people's relationships mm-hmm. and kind of like watching them closely and watching how they move. Maybe it's like the literary like reader's equivalent of sort of sitting and and like watching the same animal like out in the in the in the the sort of woods beyond your house you know well i think there's like this sort of like fantasy that i think most people believe and entertain in our day-to-day lives which is that the stories about people in power for instance like involve a relatively like small number of actors and you know like a small number of decision makers making like specific like reason decisions and thus like you know things happening because of it right that like there are a hundred senators and they vote on laws and that's how laws get made. Right. right. When the truth is way more complicated than that, there are also like thousands of staffers, not to mention mm-hmm. like thousands more lobbyists and, you know, hundreds of thousands of like constituents per, per senate. Right. And like all of this stuff like churns through and there's not actually a simple story of like, well, you know, maybe sometimes there's this, this simple story of like this one guy decided this one thing. And so it happened, but usually it's actually a much more complicated story than that. And something that by like in a, and like, I think a lot of political fiction can fall into that trap where it tries to like be realistic, but really it's just being like, it's just telling that kind of story where something where once you get into these areas where it is like, well, we're going to like narrow the focus. And so there are only are 200 or 2000 or however many people in this system. Um, it kind of lets you tell that story, but with a little bit more like verisimilitude, right? Like there are only so many people and so like their social structures are this rigid and, and X and Y and Z in this kind of like cauldron that I've cooked up for myself. Um, and thus I can tell that kind of story and like interrogate those kind of things, but without being hand wavy necessarily. 
I totally agree. And that, that is exactly what I what I really like about this kind of story. And so, you know, from that perspective, if that's what a generation ship story is, then you can obviously have that not in a spaceship. You can have that on an island. You can have I mean, that's like. Right. It's Lord of the Flies. Yeah. It's, it's again, Dark Eden. It it's, is it's any know. like it's any sort of ship in a bottle style story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or ship stories, for example, on Earth, you know, uh, Master and Commander, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's, it's right. The mutiny uh, on the bounty. Yeah. Um, um, which is actually a really kind of like interesting comp that I just thought of for this kind of thing, where it is very much about social structures and, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> breaking away from very bad ones. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Because I don't think I have, you know, like on the one hand, I feel like I haven't read a whole lot of here's the other funny thing I feel like about generation ship stories. And like, maybe I'm talking out of my ass here, but the, the way I feel about it is like, there's this really specific like genre convention of like the generation ship. But like the reality is like a lot more complicated than that. Like there's very few stories that actually fit within those really specific genre conventions. Like most stories that are about generation ships are doing like a whole bunch of different things. Like it's almost these kind of like conventions that are like more frequently like broken and deconstructed than actually adhered to. Which like mm-hmm. not all conventions are, right? Like some conventions are more frequently adhered to than like deconstructed. Whereas like this feels like one of these genres where like you can't do the genre without like playing around with the like genre elements themselves. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's sort of true. I mean, it's like it's sort of similar to zombie undead stories like we talked about last time. Yeah. And to like some certain other genres where or like I mean a mystery story is like actually a really, I think a really instructive example because like mm. it's kind of weird too because like theoretically okay putting a bunch of people on a ship and saying that the ship is going somewhere and saying that like there's various constraints in these people is not that's real like that happens there are <laughs> such things as ships it's not it's not like a total flight of fancy and, to, and having a story about a pandemic that like wipes out a lot of things that's also not a total flight of fancy and having a mystery story where somebody like dies and somebody else wants to figure out like who killed them you know i mean that's not at all a flight of fancy it happens all the time but there's this interesting way where like certain like tropes have been done so often and are so popular. There are so many mystery stories that have been written in so many different contexts for, with so many different kinds of main character and so many different kinds of murder weapon and so many different kinds of killer that anytime you want to write a mystery story, you kind of can't escape. Like even if you want to inject this like raw element of reality, you can't easily escape the fog of your predecessors um it's very difficult and some of that comes down to like you know in the like again literature affects the real world the way we think about the real world is affected by the literature we read or the just popular culture that we consume potentially so one imagines that any given like actual detective on an actual police force like it's not just interacting with like the crime and the you know whatever like case that they have in front of them but are also interacting with csi and sherlock holmes right like their their Mm -hmm. own self-conception at least partially comes not just to the job and what they're doing but also like popular like conceptions of those jobs yeah and so when it comes to uh, a spaceship with an entire society on it um like that hasn't been done as many times as like there have been mystery stories (laughs) but i think 
you know, there's a kind of connection between that sort of setup and the, and and like any sort of like micro society, any sort of sh- ship in the bottle society, mm-hmm. such that like there are a lot of sort of tropey things that you can imagine that come to mind quickly if you're somebody who's read any other like genre fiction you mm-hmm. know you can imagine all right well you know uh there's a wizard of oz situation and like the whole thing is premised on a lie the whole society is premised on this like fake you know thing or there's right. like a or it's a it's it's fascism the whole thing is premised on like you know uh crude and like you know morally wrong sort of hierarchy of 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 uh of social classes and and like you know there's like these 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 classic things that you can imagine happening and i think like just as with like a mystery story like the solution isn't the like if you if you feel that this is a problem which it may not be but if you feel like you want to write a book that like tries to escape somehow the the kind of falling into the trap of like only referring to tropes and only referring to like your predecessors the solution i think isn't to like like just try harder and like come up with the, the trope that hasn't yet been done, you know, or to like deconstruct the trope. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think like if you do that, you, you, you are just referring to tropes and, and that doesn't mm-hmm. have to be bad, but it's, it's definitely not, not referring to tropes. <laughs> right. The solution is to try to, is to try to figure out what story you want to tell. And maybe it's associated with tropes and maybe it isn't. And once you figured it out, try to make it as, uh sincere as you can try to like inject as much like emotion and feeling and sense like as in like as in like smells and sights and sounds and touches i think that's the way that you escape feeling too tropey yeah i'm really curious how you'll react to it (laughs) having having read it oh man you know there's this element of like like having this conversation and like talking about like Oh, like, you know, genre conventions and, you know, hewing to them versus deconstructing them versus just like going out and like looking at the real world and doing your own thing that like, I feel like I fall into a little bit of the spiral of like, why do like, if your goal is to say something real about the real world, like why do literature in the first place? Like, why not just actually tell real stories about real people? Why not? do history or anthropology or sociology or, you know, like narrative nonfiction storytelling, you know, like Svetlana Alexievich or like, like any of these other sort of like potential programs one could, could like exist within one could like write within. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same question as asking why sculpt when you can paint. I mean, I don't think it is though. I think, I think it's, it's, you know, like, again, if, if the goal is to say something real about the real world, like, like, is that the goal that we want of our fiction? Like if your goal is to say something real about the real world is like science fiction, really the best place to do that. I think sometimes it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that like, I, I, I think like I, I, the reason I think that analogy I made works is because I think all of these things are about fiction and they're about reality. Both they're about, expressing with different tools various real emotions and real facts um now they're not all always about that for instance you know if you're doing sociology sociology is about reality but i think sociology is also about fiction (laughs) sure sure (laughs) because fiction affects reality and it's part of reality i mean again i i i understand that i like fully understand that it's it's more of a like 
I don't know. Again, I feel like I'm just like spiraling a little bit. There's this like funny thing. I, I like having this conversation like always whenever I have it. And it's not just with you. It's like whenever I have this conversation, like part of me wonders like, you know, is fiction really, especially science fiction, like in the way that we talk about it is like, you know, you and I take it very seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously, hopefully, but we like <laughs> talk about the fiction very seriously and like try really hard to engage with like the ideas of the books that we read. Right. Yeah. I mean, like that's our whole like yeah. program here. And then I wonder like, you know, what is the real value of that? <laughs> All right. Well, let me let me pose to you a hypothetical question uh, or not, not even hypothetical. Let me ask you right. a real, real direct question. Had you ever thought much about people who recycle e-waste in China before you read Waste Tide? No, I hadn't. Have you since at all? I mean, like while reading the book, absolutely. Have I since reading the book? Do you feel like your perspective on like what kinds of people exist and like what their lives are like is any richer? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yes, 100%. But again, like, I also felt that way about, like, living through the fall of Stalinist Russia after reading Svetlana Alexievich's Secondhand Time. But I also felt like I had a more real grasp of what that was actually like. Like, like that feeling felt more real to me than the post-waist-tide feeling does. Like, I read about actual human beings and yeah. their actual experiences. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that those two books have different goals. And, and you know, the the goal of Waste-Tide isn't only to make you to in, enrich and mm-hmm. enrich your experience of what kinds right. of different people live in the world right. and what their lives are like. And I guess maybe some of it is that, like, you know, there is value to entertainment and to entertaining along with, like, you know, you know, it's like you can't just think about hard, bad things all the time. No, you, you really can't. <laughs> you can't. It's you not really healthy. <laughs> um, or at least I can't. And, and <laughs> like, I do if, a lot of it. So, like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> if this, if this, if what you're saying, Arden, is that you like want to go read some nonfiction right now, then do that. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not. And I, you know, I, it is this sort of like what I'm saying is unfortunately like mediated by the fact that I don't like fully know what I'm saying as so much as like I sometimes have these conversations and have this almost like dissatisfied feeling of, of like myself and my own own habits of like reading maybe like more fiction than other kinds of works and of and in my own habit that I see in myself of like you know, for all that I we talked at the beginning of this episode about like yeah you know you know like read fiction but also like fiction isn't reality and like you know don't read fiction and feel like you've actually done the work like I still do right I still do read fiction and then like feel like I've done the work whatever the work is in that instance and like that you know I, I mean, like on, on some hand, I'm just saying to myself, like, you know, like do better, like, you know, like remember this and like try hard and do better over time. And, you know, some of me gets a little bit like, I don't know. And sometimes some of it is just this, like these conversations get really abstract because we haven't read the book yet. Maybe I'm almost wondering if like, you know, like, do we change up the pre-reads at some point here? Because we've done a lot of the like, you know we've talked about most of the subgenres we want to, we've done a lot of like what we've wanted to do with these pre-reads. And I feel like they're just getting more and more kind of like abstract and like talking around the fact that we haven't read the book. And like, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something about that, that like I'm, I'm feeling dissatisfied with. Yeah. We can, we can, <laughs> we can talk about that for sure. Right. Y'all are hearing it on air, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to read this book with you and to like talk about the book. And you know, it's like, I really want to talk about this book with you. 
in specifics because I think there's a lot of specific. It's a very specific book. It's a book that is very much interested in the like lives of its characters and like specific actions and specific thoughts of its characters. Not one that is interested in kind of like large, you know, you not say it's not interested in like large scale political machinations, but like, like the, the focus of the book is on the specifics of the characters. And so I, it's the kind of book that I really want to like talk about those specifics specifically, <laughs> not generally, not generally. <laughs> cool, man. I'm really excited. I want to get I want to get reading. Cool. All right. Well, I'll let you go do that. I'll I'll go like stew and like have my own existential crises <laughs> oh, off man, mic. Dude. You know, the privilege of being able to like, you know, have like 400 person listen to me have like a existential crisis on air. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go read something happy? Yeah, maybe I need to do that. <laughs> Inject yourself with some like fiction opiates. Happy serum. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, probably a good idea after this week. I'm tired, man. It's been like a long couple of weeks. <laughs> All right. Dude. All right. Well, I guess thanks to anyone who's still listening. Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, but sorry. <laughs> um, you know, thanks to WJ for doing our music and Noah Bradley at noahbradley.com for our artwork. Um, again, the book is An Unkindness of Ghosts. It's good. You should read it. Like, actually, it's good, and folks should read it. Um, and, yeah, we'll be back next week with a with a bonus episode. We, like, fan-casted some, like, our adaptations of, like, various, like, books we've read. That was kind of, like, fun and silly. Uh, maybe I'll just go listen to that episode, because that was a fun <laughs> and silly thing for us to do. Um, and then we'll have the post-read of this out of the last week of November, and then we have our kind of, like big december event that we're like in the middle of like recording or like episodes and stuff for that should be a lot of fun um talking about old school sci-fi so with that matt do you have any last thoughts i like books <laughs> kind of can't help it so i'm gonna keep reading them even if sometimes doing things for pleasure feels like a waste of time <laughs> I like books too, and I don't mean to judge anyone else for doing it. I mean, obviously, I like books. I do this fucking podcast. <laughs> I don't think anybody doubts that, dude. <laughs> I'm in a weird mood. <laughs> Wait till I tell you about the like play I went to last night. <laughs> anyway, with that, thanks everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs>